You can have a seat. Thank you, Junior. His name is Noe, so you can give the Lord a hand and affirm him. Say thank you. Now, just tying in last week's message, in Greco-Roman culture, for them, you wouldn't, it would be offensive to say thank you because we talked about that last week, how it was a given. They didn't think it was cool to say thank you because they lived in a thank you relationship, one with another, giving and receiving. And Paul talked about that where we left off last week. So basically what they were saying is there's no big I's or little U's in the body of Christ. It's a partnership in the gospel and we're moving forward together for grace. So the idea is you and I say thank you to one another, but the reality is if I didn't say thank you to Noe, we have a relationship. He's ministered with me and to me, and we have done ministry together outside of this arena. So if I didn't say thank you, he already knows my heart. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. The Philippian church and the Apostle Paul had a partnership. It was a church to cherish. There was something special about that. So tonight we're gonna finish the book of Philippians chapter four and Pastor Stewart will be back. So all of you who have been away, you can return. It is safe to return next week. And so I wanna just encourage you, uh, tonight's message is the glory cycle. The glory cycle, Philippians chapter four, verses 17, all the way to the end of the chapter, verses 23, the glory cycle. So understanding what Paul is fixing to tell us, it's all in the context of giving. Now, it just so happens that we teach the Bible verse by verse, so I didn't pick this topic because like, there's a problem. Um, but when you teach verse by verse, you just go with the flow of the text. When, if God brings it up, then I'm okay with it. If I have an agenda and go to some other thing, then you may have an issue with me, but you can't because I already told you it's Philippians chapter four, we're going through it. So it's in the context of giving. So living grace, power of Jesus in a person, translates into giving grace because you can't give in your own power. You have to give when God prompts you to give and that's the purity of giving. So there's not rent, giving is not rent, giving is not guilt, giving is grace. This is grace giving. That's what the Apostle Paul is gonna talk about here in chapter four, verses 17 through 23. So allow me to read through the text, then we'll come back to verse 17. Here's what Paul says. Remember where we came from last week. Here's what he says. Not, the word not means not in any way, shape, or form. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit or the profit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. Now here's the verse that everybody pulls out of context right here. I told you last week it was verse 13. This week it's verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to, that's a good amen. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen. Look what he does here. He closes out the letter, which is not unusual to greet for Paul. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. 
all the saints greet you, here's the key, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. If you have a pen, circle it. If you're on a tablet, highlight it. That is key. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So I'm calling this the glory cycle. It has to do with giving. So a lot of people claim verse 19, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Here's the problem with that. If you don't learn to give and go by verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, God's not obligated to meet your needs. He meets needs when you have a pure heart in giving, not wants, but needs. And so there is a blessing in the giving that God wants to benefit us with, but it has to do with a glory cycle. And you have to put these pieces together. So God works in cycles. He's been working in cycles here in the latter part of the chapter. And so if you know when you become part of a cycle, how to move in when God is moving in a circular way is real important. You, you have an opportunity, you may have an obstacle, but the opportunity always overcomes the obstacle. So you have to look at a cycle as something that comes around and continues to roll like this. There's a beginning and an end, but it just continues to cycle. And it's the cycle of blessing that God wants to bless me and wants to bless you in order that we can and not hold on to the blessing, but in order that we might receive it and release it. That's giving. And so I didn't write this, Paul did. So I'm confident in teaching this and I wanna teach it under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we call it the glory cycle, let me give you four little things about the glory cycle. There are four essentials to it. First of all, there's the ability of God. If God doesn't have the power, if God doesn't have the ability, we're wasting our time. The whole book of Philippians is about the power of God working through a man who's thrown in jail, who, got, who everybody else said God can't use you. It's about God's power, so he has ability. So the glory cycle starts with the ability of God. Then there's the ability of God to abound to us. So you have the ability of God, then the ability of God to abound to us. And then thirdly, he next gives us the ability to make us abound to others. So as we receive what God has for us, then we release it to others. And then finally, our gifts to others as we give with a pure heart from God, as he prompts us and burdens us, causes others to give an overflow of thanksgiving and glory to God for that which he has done. And when God receives thanksgiving and God receives glory, he starts pouring it out again. And it's just a cycle. It's a cycle of blessing. Let me give you an example. On a mission trip that I did a long time ago, we were building a house and we had a line we did preaching and teaching and equipping and all that, but part of it was building a house. So they would, uh, we would pass concrete blocks. We had a line. And so we would get a concrete block and it would come down the line. Now, when the block got to me, it could stop with me. If I stopped the flow of the blessing of that concrete block getting all the way to the foundation that we were gonna build the house on, I could have stopped it. I could not have been a conduit. I could have been the stopping point of that blessing. But when that block was handed to me, I handed the block 
and I pushed it on to the next person. So it was a cycle of blessing. The, the block came to me, but the block came through me. It was never for me to hold. It was always for me to release. It was always for me to receive it, but to, to give God glory with one hand and release it with another hand. That's the way giving is. That's what Paul's talking about here. So the idea is, is we went across uh, the world and we built a house for somebody that we blessed because God provided the funds through the congregation that I was a part of, so they gave. And so we built a house that the people lived in that they didn't even know the people who built it. So we went back to our part of the world, but God did something over here that stayed and was permanent and was a foundation because generous people over here gave and we didn't stop the blessing we gave to them and it abounded to other people. So God abounds, he has the ability, he has the ability, he abounds to us and then he abounds through us. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul says in verse 17, look at the text. He's talking about giving. Remember, this church is the only church that was giving to him. They gave once, and again, we looked at that last week. And so he says, for my necessities. But here's what he said. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, this is a powerful statement. Not that I seek the gift. We never seek the gift. We always seek the giver of the gift. It's God. God's the one who supplies. God's the one that burdens. God's the one that funnels his wealth to us. So Paul said he wanted to make sure because he was a tent maker and he had already been accused of uh, being able, they were accusing him of getting in the ministry for money, basically. So he was a tent maker. So what he said more than once in this chapter is not that I seek the gift. He wanted people to know that his heart was pure. He never asked the Philippian church to give to him. Here's the beautiful thing. There are a lot of TV preachers, I said it last week, they ask you to give to them. And they ask you to give to them and their ministry because something magical can happen to you if you give to them. And many of them are beggars, many of them are uh, shady, um, not all of them, but many of them are. And so what they are saying is if you give to me, if you give to this ministry, if you give 30%, God will give you a condo in Cabo. That's what they're saying. So you've saved up for the condo and you're thinking, well, I'll just try it. If God, maybe I'll get it on sale or cheaper than that. Listen, you gotta be really discerning. Listen, man should never tell you what to give and man never told um, uh, these people what to give, it was God. So only give what God tells you to give. Paul says, I, didn't, I never sought the gift. That's a beautiful thing. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. There's an eternal ledger there's an eternal account. God is keeping records because he's a really good record keeper. And so everything that we keep, it's gonna go away at some point. You know, the Bible, Jesus never tells us to keep our stuff. He tells us to give it away in ministry as he prompts us to give. So he says, I don't seek the gift I never have. But here's what he's saying. I'm not looking at what giving has done for me. I'm super grateful that you guys have given to me. He's told us that already. But he said, what really fires me up is that I know 
that when you give to me, it's a giving and receiving partnership. I have deposited in your life ministry and resources and teaching. You have deposited the ability for me to go on in ministry. You have blessed me. But he says, here's the beautiful thing about it. It's not just me and you in a giving, receiving relationship. It's a triangle. And he says, God is keeping an eternal ledger. And when you give and we receive and we have this partnership, you're going to get back what you gave in the sense of the blessing of God, the cycle of God. It's going to continue to flow. That's what he's saying here. He said, I seek the fruit. It's not what the giving has done for them, for him. It's what the giving has done for them. That's what he says. I seek the fruit the profit that abounds to your account. So there's giving and there's receiving and then there's getting. So God is the one in the triangle that's gonna give to you. He's gonna give back to you because he prompted you to give to me and he is so faithful and you can never outgive God and he has all the resources and he's gonna give you more so that you can continue to give away. That's what he's saying here. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I thought about, I went to a conference about 12 years ago. I'm dating myself. Charles Stanley was the speaker. I think he's 87 or 88 now. He sits on a stool. He has a table if you can see him at his church. And he said, there's one thing I can say about the end of my ministry. He's never asked for money. That's what he said. He said, I've never, you, I, we've never asked for money and we're in all the countries of the world. Because God does that. You see, you don't have to beg God. God's not poor. God doesn't need anything. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't want anything. And he doesn't need our money. Listen, we need his grace. So when we give out of a pure heart, then he blesses us because he told us to give. He burdened us. We release it. Somebody else receives it and then they give it to somebody else and the cycle goes on and on and on. So Paul says, I'm so excited, not about the gift you gave me. I'm grateful. I appreciate it. But I'm excited about what God's going to deposit in your account because God keeps records. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. So think about the times. I can tell you story after story after story how God has met my need. And I look back and I think, I didn't deserve that. In fact, some people have given us gifts before. And I said, no, 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 I, I, I really can't receive it. I remember one time I was leaving a church. It wasn't a bad situation. It was a good situation. And a man came up to me who, who I knew very well. And he said, uh, I want to pay for your move. And it wasn't a small check. It wasn't a small move. We're not talking about a U-Haul 10-foot. We're talking about uh, United. And I said, no, no, no. He said, listen, if you don't receive this, this is important, you are robbing me of the blessing that God told me to give. So only thing that would cause me not to receive it is my pride. But you know, when I think about receiving something like that, I look back and I say, but wait a minute. But I was faithful in, in giving to God, so that's the blessing that comes sometimes. Remember another time I was finishing up some seminary. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment. I was, had an hourly job, get up early in the morning, and uh, we were short on rent. This is a true story. I got a check in the mail from someone I didn't even know. 
think it was $231.34 was what we needed. I think the check was for like 219 something. And then I got a, we got a refund. Somehow we signed up for something and we got a refund in the mail for the other $20 and some cents and it was exactly what was needed. Now you tell me that that's not God, it's God. So God has the ability to meet us at the point of our need, not our wants, but our needs. So Paul says this in verse 17, it's just incredible to me. He says that I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So this partnership, this relationship. Then he says in verse 18, he said, indeed I have all and abound and I am full having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What Paul is saying here is, listen, not only do you get a great return in verse 17, I mean, there's no better return than the return. There's, this is a no-risk investment when you give to God. But he says, listen, God not only, it's a no-risk return um, and it's a great return, but God sees giving as an act of worship. That's what he says here. He sees it as an act of worship. Indeed, I have all and abound, which means overflow. I am full. I've got it all. It's just flowing out. And having received the things you sent for me. Here's what he says. A sweet smelling aroma. So they would make sacrifices at the temple and that aroma would go up. It wasn't sweet smelling. But when, when we give, there's a, God says, this smells really good. This smells really good. Not that God smells, he's spirit. It's just for the point. But the sweet smelling aroma is that, that we responded to him and we gave and we released, we received and we released. And it's a sweet smelling aroma. It's an act of worship when you and I give. Some people will say, I just wanna sing in worship. That was a beautiful song we sang. I just wanna sing in worship. Why would you wanna limit worship to one thing? Put giving in there. We had a staff meeting today where we worship once a month together and we prayed today. So prayer was an act of worship. Worship was worship. There's all kinds of words for worship in the New Testament. Uh, several of them have to do with how we live. There's no reason for you to go to a restaurant and be rude to the waiter uh, and say that you're worshiping because some people come from church and get mad at the waiter. It would be better if you wouldn't pray at the table and let them know that you're not a Christian. You follow me? Because worship is not just a song, it's a surrendered life. It's how you treat the waitress or waiter, even if they have a bad day, even if something's really going wrong. How we respond to things is really important, it's worship. So worship is how we live, it's an offering that we give, it's what we say, it's how we treat people. So there's all different kinds of words for worship, but in this particular passage, Paul says, I have everything I need. You know what he's telling them? Stop giving to me. I am overflowing. Um, it would be like a, a dog. I got a boxer. It would be like a boxer eating a whole ham, which has happened before, and then drinking the uh, cow trough of water. And that thing, say, and that boxer, if he could speak, saying, I'm full. I'm just full. It would be like me at one of the churches I was at where I lived in a parsonage and I had to fill up the baptistry when we baptized somebody. So I would start it on Saturday and hope I would remember an hour later to turn it off and I didn't. So I flooded the whole church because it didn't have the relief hole and the relief valve. So I was at my parsonage and I looked out the front and water's pouring out the front. It was overflowing, it was full. That's what Paul's saying giving does. 
Paul is saying that here, man, listen, I, you have blessed me. You have given to me. I'm so grace, grateful for that. I am so overflowing. You don't have to send me any more money. That's what he's saying here. God has supplied everything that I need. That's what he's saying. So giving is an act of worship. It's a great return. It's an act of worship. Look at the next verse. Here's what he says here. Uh, and my God, that's the connecting word, verse uh, and. And my God, notice the triangle, giving, receiving, Paul, the Philippians, depositing, investing in each other, but God, and God doing the supply. It's a triangle. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes, let me give you this is not a blanket promise. It's a promissory note. For those who participate in giving financially, there's a blessing. And my God, he's the banker. That's who the banker is, God. You know, back in the old days, when banks were smaller, you could go in and you could say, I want to see the banker. And the banker would be there with the cowboy hat, chew, the badge. And you had a relationship with the banker. You can't find the banker anymore. I mean, we take pictures of checks, we send them off. But Paul says, and my God, I know the banker. I have a relationship. Nobody can rob this bank. This bank is secure. You don't need FDIC 250. Everything is secure in this bank. That's what Paul is saying. And my God, it's a promissory note. He says, he's the banker. My God, not a God, not the God, but my God, my personal God, who has met me in my most difficult place of prison as I am penning this letter, my God is supplying. So I know the banker, that's what Paul says. Shall supply, the phrase shall supply is the promise to pay. The supply only comes when the deposit is made into the account. So it's future indicative. Supply is future indicative. You, you have to deposit into the account. So we, as people who walk with Jesus and who love him and who wanna serve him and receive and release and be a blessing to people and others and God as a sweet smelling aroma, when he sniffs, and he's not a per, he, he's spirit, but the idea is that he's pleased at that point and he says, and my God shall supply. So there has to be a deposit made. There's not anything you will ever give to the Lord that you'll ever say, I want it back. You know what we're gonna say? You're awesome. You are awesome. You are so awesome because it wasn't mine to begin with. And I'm just giving back to you what is rightfully yours. I'm just a steward. That's what he's saying here. So he says, my God shall supply the promise to pay. Think about that. All of your need, look at that. That's the value of the note. That is the value of the note. So all of my needs are gonna be met in him. Now, if you think that your needs aren't met and you're giving, you need to go back to see what the definition of need is. It's not want. It's what you need. So God says, I, I, I'll supply this. Paul says he supplies all of your need the value of the note. Then he says, according to his riches. This is a beautiful thing. That's the capital of the bank. So that's the capital of the bank. In other words, it doesn't say out of his riches. It says according to. If I had a million dollars and gave you $5 out of my million, that's not according to my million. 
but if I have a million dollars in the bank and I'm gonna give a gift to you that's according to the riches, it's gonna have to represent the amount that's in the bank. Here's what I wanna tell you. God owns it all. According to his riches, if he pulls your name and he has pulled our name, because I wanna say this, before you and I ever thought of giving any kind of monetary gift, Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Think about that. If you never give anything, he has already done everything for you to make it into heaven. He's already given you his life. He fully God, fully man. He was sacrificed on a cross for the sins of the world and for your sins and for my sins. So God, who is the one who gives his best, his son, if I never give another dime, if I never had the opportunity to give, God has given me way much more than I deserve. He's given me himself. Now watch this, because I have him and he's given me himself. How could I be stingy and how could you be stingy? How could I give so little? How could you give so little? This is for me. One day I think we'll probably go, why did we give so little? Listen, God's not looking at the amount of zeros at the end of the check. He's looking at the attitude of a heart. That's what he's looking at. I know guys that can give a lot of checks with a lot of zeros, but you know what? That's like a secular person singing amazing grace and God going, that means nothing to me until you know me. See, because I have a relationship with him and you have a relationship with him, I can give out of a full, free, graceful, loving, generous, not stingy heart because he puts that in me. I am sinful, I am wayward, I would like to keep it all, I would like to hoard it up. And God says, but that's not who you are in me. Release it, give to others. I wanna encourage you in an application. Would you look for an opportunity to give to someone who has a need and not tell anybody about it. You just give to God, you see the need, you meet the need. Maybe it's $10, maybe it's 50, maybe it's a penny. But would you just see if God maybe would open a door? So here's what he says, according to his riches, that's the capital of the bank, in glory, look at the text, in glory, that's the address of the bank. He doesn't need a stimulus shot in the arm in 2009. God's not dead. I mean, all these big banks that needed all this stimulus money, because they had done some wrong things. Listen, God doesn't need any stimulus money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills, he owns the cattle, he owns it all. He's God and we're not. And he says, my address is in glory. That's where my address, that's where my bank is. That's where I am. Look at the text. By Christ Jesus, that's the signature of the note. Without it, it's not valid. Jesus Christ. Think about that. Now you read this verse. And my God shall supply all your need. Let's stop this. And my God, that's the promissory note, that's the banker, shall supply, that's the promise to pay, all your need, that's the value of the note. According to his riches, that's the capital of the bank. In glory, that's the address of the bank. By Jesus Christ, that's the signature on the note. And here's what Paul says. Now, verse 20. Now is a connective participle. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Doesn't it make sense? Because of all of that, wouldn't we say now to God our Father? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say God our provider. 
God has just provided for Paul through the Philippians. He's provided, giving and receiving. He says, I'm totally full. It text doesn't say now to our God and Father. It says now to our God and Father, not provider. Here's the point. God our Father is our provider. All provision and grace flows from his heart down. He provides, he meets our needs. So he's in control when we're not in control. He's in control when the world is going nuts out there. So when you think about that, you have to look at this now. God, our Father, be glory. The word glory means to give special recognition. It means to acknowledge um, your dependency upon him. It means to set him apart like no other. So all the glory goes to him. There's a lot of things God will share with us. He will share his strength. He will share his wisdom. He will share his provision with us, but he will not share his glory with us. All glory goes to him. It all goes to him. If anybody gets saved, glory goes to him. If anybody gives, glory goes to him. If anything happens, glory goes to him, whether we think it's good or whether it's bad, it all goes to him. Now to our God, who is our provider, all glory goes to him forever and ever. Look at the text, forever and ever, amen. That's a Jewish term. You know what it means? So be it. So be it. Think about that. Now to our God and Father, glory forever and ever, so be it, Paul says. So be it, don't ever change it. I uh, lived in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, served at a church out there called Hoffmantown. So most of our members would come through. They were transient. It's a big, large church like Sagemont, but they would move off after three or four years because Kirtland Air Force Base was right there. It's, it's like a major Air Force Base. So many of my connection leaders, I did what Wes did there, and many of my connection leaders, when I was meeting with them, I found out several of them were, were actually in the control tower. They were the master controllers in the control tower. And I said, tell me what that's like. They said, it's like a big screen with hundreds and hundreds of airplanes all over the screen. And I said, how do you know which is which? They're each numbered. We know the level that they're flying. We know the engines that they have. We sit in this tower and we talk to the pilots and we communicate. We know every single one of those airplanes are identified. To me, that's chaos. I would freak. That seems like chaos to me, but here's the point. In that control tower on that screen, everything may look like chaos to an outsider, but to an insider, there's a master controller that's controlling all the chaos. What Paul is saying is our God and Father, who all glory goes to forever and ever, who provides for us, is in charge. He's the master controller. He doesn't get thwarted. No, no one can thwart his plans. He's not wringing his hands going, I wonder where this, I wonder where, where Freeman's gonna go. No, Freeman's just a little dot like you're a little dot on the screen. God knows the beginning from the end. And we think this life here that's just a little bit of length here with us on the dot. Listen, it's from here all the way to here. It's never ending with God. We will eternally be with him. We're just living a little part of this life here. But to God be the glory forever and ever and ever because he was the greatest giver in his son. And I will be with him, not because I'm good. I will be with him because God's good. And he forgave me 
Jesus forgave me of my sin. Now, let me pick up the pace. We'll finish up. Here's what he says. Greet, he closes his letter. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. In other words, say hi. Hi. The brethren who are with me say hi too. And all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Let's stop there. Do you know what Caesar's household was? Paul was in prison, chained to guards 24-7. They would have shift changes, uh, 3 to 11, 11 to 7, 7 to 3. The imperial staff, the, the elite of the elite, the, the Caesar's household was the top, ruled in Rome. The, these were the imperial staff. These were the elite of elite. These were the ones that were at the top. But guess where they've been pinned? They've been pinned with the apostle Paul, many of them in prison. And because the Philippian church was giving and because the Philippian church was generous, the gospel went to all of Caesar's household. God can't use Paul. He's in prison. He's just going to be, no, listen, word got out that Caesar's not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Do you understand what these people, when they say, hey, we just like to say hello to Paul and have greetings from Caesar's household, do you know what they had to do? They had to denounce Caesar and say that Jesus was Lord. The power of the gospel went through and through a prison cell and went through Philippi and went throughout the Praetorian Guard because he said in chapter one, the whole Praetorian Guard knows that I'm in chains. So because people were faithful in giving and Paul was surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that Caesar's household was touched with the gospel. Don't tell me God can't use somebody in prison. And whatever your prison is, don't tell me that God can't use you or me. Because not all prisons have bars. We can be in a prison of our own making. Let me tell you something else about Caesar's household. When it refers to Caesar's household, you know who, was in, who Caesar's household was? It was Nero was in charge. Nero reigned. Nero uh, burned Rome and blamed Christians. He persecuted Christians. Pastor Stewart talked a little bit about this in his sermon Sunday. Nobody could touch Nero. Nero would actually martyr Paul, would kill Paul. Not now, not, not now in this era, but he would actually die at the hands of Nero. And everybody said, Nero, nobody can, uh, nobody can undermine the throne of Nero, which was Caesar's household was Nero. But let me tell you something about the untouchable Nero. Nero ended up committing suicide and he ended up dying and Paul, who he martyred, also died. But here's the difference. For to me, to live is Christ, Paul said, but to die is gain. Paul lived forever. Nero and his reign and rule, it ended when he committed suicide. But the power of the gospel went through Caesar's household because one man was humble, was submitted, was surrendered, was living a life worthy of the call in chains. He was a prisoner. Paul says, the Jews, I'm not a prisoner of the Jews. I'm not a prisoner of the Romans. You know what Paul says in Ephesians? I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? I've been captured by grace. Have you?
Are you a prisoner? I am. I've been captured by grace. Let me close with this. In World War II, an unusual thing happened. The Allied armies gathered many of the hungry and homeless children who were caught in the war. And what happened is they began to feed the children. They didn't have shelter. They didn't have food. They began to feed the children. They put them in large camps, and the children were well-fed three times a day. They were abundantly cared for, but they couldn't fall asleep at night. So here's here's what the story says. Finally, a psychologist found the solution. After the children were put to bed, they received a slice of bread. They were not to eat this bread. If they were hungry, they could have another meal, but they weren't to eat this bread. So they couldn't go to bed. They were fearful. They were anxious because they didn't have this bread in their hand. But the psychologist said they put bread in all their hands and the slice of bread held in the hands of the children in the camps produced marvelous results. The children would go to sleep subconsciously because they had the feeling that they would have something to eat tomorrow because of the piece of bread in their hands. They slept and they rested very, very well. So if they had nothing in their hands, they couldn't sleep, but they provided a slice of bread to remind them that the next day that they're gonna have everything that they need. I'm gonna tell you something. God's put a slice of bread in our hands and we can go to sleep tonight because he's provided everything. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because my God, it all depends on whose hands I'm in. A baseball in my hands, it's not worth but five cents. You put a baseball in, um, oh, we could say a lot of names. We'll stay uh, Houston. Altuve's hands. It's, it's worth a whole lot more. Millions and millions and millions and millions. Basketball in my hands, it's not worth much, $10. But you put a basketball in some of these guys that make $90 million, it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the same basketball, but it depends on whose hands it's in. I'm telling you, God says, I'll provide for your needs. I will supply all of your needs. So when I go to sleep, this piece of bread in my hand lets me know that my life is in God's hands and so that God abounds to me so that I can abound to others so that those people can abound to someone else and then God receives all the glory for everything we release and then he decides to pour glory back into our lives in the grace of God and that glory cycle just keeps on going and he keeps on providing and he keeps on giving and he gives a blessing to me, not to stop with me, but it's so it can go through me so we can bless somebody else. This church has always been a generous church and this church has a mission and a heart to reach the world. So everything you give, you will never say, I wished I wouldn't have done it because only this side of heaven, you won't know, but that side of heaven, you'll see people there. The money you didn't keep, but released and the money that I didn't keep and release, there'll be people that heard the gospel because we let it go through our hands and it blessed somebody else the glory cycle. Would you pray with me? Father, we come thanking you for this beautiful text. The Apostle Paul, in a jail cell, literally thrown in to jail, everybody said God could never use him. And the gospel went to the world with a man penned to a chain next to another man and all he talked about for eight hours was Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
And that's what's happened to us. We hold bread in our hands and we release it to somebody else because you have saved us. You have saved many people that we have given bread to and said, here's the answer, here's the resource you need. And they've passed it on to somebody else. So all the way across the world, even if we can never go on a mission trip to Africa, when we give, we're actually in Africa already because you have no bounds. Nothing limits you. No time, no space. You have impeccable character and you do not change. So I pray you take a little passage that we've heard all our lives and just rivet it in us that what we have has been given to you, given to us by you, and we're just stewards. So provide an opportunity for us to release that which you've given to us to someone who needs to hear the gospel or maybe needs a physical need met. We open our hearts to you. If there's someone here that's never trusted you as Savior, I pray that they wouldn't give their money. I pray they would give their heart to you because they can give all the money in the world and still go to hell. But if they'll give their heart to you, you will rescue them from hell and from themselves and give them eternal life. And then it'll change their perspective on money. So thank you for the glory cycle. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. What a beautiful word. May it go forth and bless many. In Jesus' name.